Welcome to the Modern Motherhood Podcast from All Mom Does. I'm your host, Julie Lyles Carr. And today on the podcast, we have someone who is well known for her public speaking career. She's had a long and storied history behind that microphone. She's also a nonfiction author. Oh, but she's also a fiction author. But wait, she also is now an actress with a couple of films to her credit. You know, pretty much, she's amazing all the way around. We welcome today to the Modern Motherhood Podcast, Priscilla Shire. Thank you for having me. Now, you're the daughter of a pastor, a very beloved pastor, and you're now raising your own kids in a career that includes ministry. As you look back, knowing that some kids can develop a resentment toward ministry when life seems to be all church, what are some things your parents did that allowed you to find your own lane in ministry, and what are you putting into practice with your own kids to avoid that PK thing we often hear about? Well, you know what? My parents did very well, um, and, and it wasn't a perfect family. I know they would they would say that as well, that it wasn't perfect, but it was intentional and purposeful. And what they did well was, you know, that our life wasn't all church. It very much was filled with church life and church friends, and but outside of actual church, in terms of the institution of church, there was actually a relationship with Jesus that was outworked in other ways. So we didn't feel consumed by the building, church building and church activities, although it was a part of our life. We did other things that also were for the glory of God, but were outside of the walls of the church. And our gifts and our talents, each of the four of us, just all kind of uniquely kind of bent in different ways. And we were very involved in other things, just sports and high school activities and enjoying other things with our friends and in our own lives. And our parents supported that. So we never felt really swallowed up in this whole of religious activity that we didn't see how our relationship with Jesus could filter into every aspect of our life. So I'm very grateful that they did that. And I've been trying to do that with my own boys as well. I'll tell you, if I can just get to the end of a week and everybody's still alive, I feel like a success <laughs> yes. as a mom. Like, that's it. <laughs> if I've fed these three monster boys and they are all full at the end of the week, I'm like, woohoo, I, I did it. We did it. Um, yes, but just helping them to see that church is so important and being a part of the body of Christ is critical. And yet, a relationship with Jesus involves the entirety of your life, so it's not segmented to that one area, but let's live out loud for Jesus while you're on the basketball court, while you're on the football field, while we're just hanging out with friends here at the house. How can we just enjoy life and enjoy Jesus and weave him in and make sure he's the centerpiece of all that we do? So how old are your boys now? For those of us who've been following along. Yeah, yes. They're 15, 13, and 9. You are in it, sister. Oh, I mean, in it. (laughs) In it. So when did you first begin to realize your gift as a communicator? And when did you begin to realize it would be used within the faith community? I I myself was, was in radio and television within a secular lane and then slowly began to realize, oh, well, maybe this will have some value for the body. So, So how was it for you? Well, let me tell you that I've always been a bit of a talker, and mostly it just got me in trouble growing up. (laughs) Um, And I I just give a lot of credit to my dad, because of course, when I needed to be disciplined, I was, you know, for speaking out of turn in school or just not being respectful or whatever. But but my dad, I remember even after I was corrected for the, the issue at hand, my dad would always say, you know what, Priscilla, you actually are a really good communicator. And I wonder if God 
might use this in your future. And now I went to college for radio and television. That was what I was going to do, kind of what you're doing. And, you know, news anchor was my goal Mm -hmm. in TV. But that direction came from a dad who saw what could have just been a problem child and a problem issue and saw that, you know what, actually under the control of the Holy Spirit and guided by his hand, this could be actually what she's called to do. So I was, you know, headed in the direction of journalism at the direction of sort of my dad kind of helping me to see how this could be a a gifting in my life. But then while I was in school and I was interning at a Christian radio station, slowly but surely folks started to call that station and just say, hey, can that young lady, whoever's on the radio, can she just come and do a small women's Bible study? Hmm. And I would come as a 19-year-old you know, freshman in high school. Sometimes there'd be 10 women in that group I'd go and speak to, and sometimes there'd be 500 women. And I would just show up as a 19-year-old freshman or 20-year-old sophomore and just share whatever my quiet time was. I mean, it wasn't, a, it wasn't something I ever thought would be what the Lord had for my life. It was just the door that was opened up to me then to share his word. And to make a long story short, for the past 23 years, those invitations to just share my quiet time have never stopped coming. So that's <laughs> that's just what I've done is just sort of said, okay, Lord, well, if this is the next step, then okay, I'll I'll just take this next step. And before you know it, when you're following God like that and just saying, yes, Lord, you look back and it's 23 years later and you go, oh, this is the plan you had for my life. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but it's kind of like a shock in the, in the middle of it. You're just sort of going, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And then you see that it was his plan and his purpose all along. I think that's such an encouragement because as I minister to women today, one of the conversations that I find that is different from when I began my mothering journey with my oldest child many years ago to now these youngest who are twins and are 10 years old. One of the things that I find is a difference is that there was a mom guilt back in the day when I first started mothering if if I wasn't staying home with her. Now I hear a mom guilt of moms who are saying, well, gosh, I feel like I need to have this side hustle and I feel like I need to take whatever the gift is the it's Lord's so on sad. my heart. It is. It's so it is. And, and they feel like they're not making it happen. You know, oh, I haven't opened the Etsy shop yet, or I haven't, you know, been able to speak at this thing, or I haven't done whatever. And I love that encouragement of just saying, hey, it can be those small steps and just letting the Lord take control. How, how do you speak into that mom guilt space that yeah. just seems to be so evident? Well, actually, I think it is one of the ways that the enemy is sort of derailing our most critical impact that we can have Mm. by causing us to desire to do so many things to the glory of God instead of the one primary thing he's called us to. And so, for me, um, I I think, you know, and again, this is a continued matter of prayer in my life. I I do not have this mastered by any means. But I, I think, you know, maybe on social media or with people just that maybe are following our ministry, it looks like I'm doing a lot of things, but I'm really not. I am saying no to most everything so that I can say yes to these boys that the Lord has given me. And we've made very, very firm decisions that have caused there to be a lot of quote-unquote losses. It would look like losses because there have been many opportunities I've said no to that people would go, are you kidding? You're not going to take that opportunity? Well, no, because I'll be either be away from my children or they won't be able to come with me. So even homeschooling was something we did for four years. The full intention of that, although there are many benefits to it, my intention was because if the Lord is calling us to do this and we felt like he was, that they needed to be along 
for the ride with us. So we just traveled all together to do that. And so my point in saying all of that is that we've just been continually trying to prioritize our family. And I think for every mom, that's the goal. Prioritize your family and ask the Lord what that looks like for you. And if you're feeling a guilt to do other things, then you automatically can pinpoint the enemy's hand in that because guilt and fear is the way he operates. The enemy works in not enough equations. That's the way he works. It's always a disparity. There's not enough. Mm. And you feel discontented. That's how you can pinpoint the hands of the enemy. The most impact that we can have as disciple makers is in our own home. And so if we're not tending that garden of those sons and those daughters and those diapers and those little hands that need to be washed and all of the tedium of that from day to day, if we neglect that, we're actually neglecting our primary mission field. And so I salute the moms who, you know, like me, are just struggling to figure out how do I prioritize this bunch that the Lord has given me? And then I salute the older, wiser women that are coming along, and like you just did, sort of pointing out the primary way that we're supposed to be serving God in our homes. I think when women come along, other younger women, and say, hey, you're doing the right thing, stay right there with those babies during this season, I'm so glad for that Titus 2 model of one woman to the next passing on this torch of us upholding the beauty um, of our homes. Yeah, so very powerful. And I, I got to interview a while back your, your great, precious friend and such a model to all of us, Beth Moore. And the Lord finally started getting through to me on this one in a way in my own heart because she said, Julie, and it was like an Eli uh-huh. and Samuel moment. Beth Moore just said, Julie, <laughs> you cannot do 20 things to the glory of God. And I was like, you know, I actually I'm thinking I'm going to yeah. receive that now, now that Beth Moore yeah. said it. <laughs> yeah, that's yep. so she right. She said the exact same thing to me when my kids were little and ministry was just sort of, we were starting to see that it was unfolding and I had a lot of unrest about that. I was like, wait a minute, motherhood for me looks like literally being at home, not like even being with my kids, but on the road didn't feel good to me. I just thought that was so not traditional. I was struggling with it. And as we prayed and wrestled through it, and the Lord began to make clear that there was provision for us in that area in terms of a mother-in-law that is like a professional grandmother for us. Oh, love <laughs> um, that. Yeah, he just was making provision. And, and I remember she looked at me one day, Miss Beth did, and said, you cannot do 20 things to the glory of God, but you can do this. And by this, she meant ministry, motherhood, and marriage. Mm. But she said, you cannot do anything else. Right. That's it. Right. So I've just had to say no to a plethora of things. And in the moment, some of those no's feel like a loss. But the reality is every no is a simultaneous yes to something else. Such a good word. And I just need to keep being reminded of that myself. So thank you. Oh, all of us do. (laughs) All of us do. We'll be right back with our conversation with Priscilla Shire about raising three boys, about how to stay focused in ministry, about how it feels to be on a movie set, a place that she never thought she would find herself. But first, I want to make sure you're getting connected in community to other moms. And you know, one of the easiest and best ways to do that is through MOPS. For over 40 years, MOPS has been inviting women into community through the commonality of motherhood, building friendships, and earning the opportunity to share Jesus with them, maybe for the first time. MOPS believes that all moms are world influencers and exist to encourage and equip all moms everywhere to live their best lives. Check out MOPS.org to find a local gathering in your neighborhood. So talk about the experience from moving behind the pulpit 
to the front of the movie camera. So your first film that I'm aware of, now maybe you had some other stuff going on that I didn't know about, but War Room was <laughs> where I first got to see you really come into this arena. So this was something you said yes to moving into movie land. What was that like? Well, the Kendrick brothers, who are the guys who wrote War Room, you know, and gave us other incredible films like Fireproof and Facing the Giants and Courageous, they called me one day and said, we are writing this script and we every time we write for this role and we write these lines for Elizabeth Jordan, we just see you and picture you. Will you consider um, doing this film? And I said, heck no. Are you kidding me? There's no way in the world that y'all are going to get me to do that. Don't you know I'm not an actress? You know, there are people who are trained for that. I actually even gave them names of some actresses that I knew that could do a good job. I didn't know them personally, but I thought these these women would be awesome. Call them. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and they said, well, Priscilla, you know, just read the script because we think you'll see that it's not just a random movie. It's actually ministry. And that was part of my concern, too. I just want to I want to stay focused on what God has called me to do and not get derailed by a whole lot of random ancillary things. Right. Not that we can't do things that are just fun for us and, you know, give us creative expression in other areas. But I knew that the commitment of three months of a year, uh, that's how long it took us to film it. I knew that, that that sort of commitment, it needs to be part of what God is commissioning us to do. And so as we prayed about that and they said, listen, don't say no too quick until you read it. Well, when I read it, of course, I read then what people have seen now who have seen the movie, and that is that it wasn't just a movie. It was right. ministry right. and is ministry. So that was sort of my launching ground into film. And I say launching ground loosely because I fully anticipated that would be the only time ever in my life that anybody would ever want me to be a part, <laughs> be a part of a film. <laughs> I was just praying I wouldn't embarrass the name of Jesus. Because you know how it is where you've been to films before and it could have been a good movie except that one actor that was terrible <laughs> and, and I just kept going Lord please don't embarrass yourself please don't embarrass yourself <laughs> and so I was so grateful when the Lord not only used that movie to match our hopes and the, our, our expectations what we were praying for but obviously superseded it when people just from all walks of life were running to the theater to see this film because it did so well in the box office watching mainstream media outlets have to talk about it right. and have to interview different members of the cast and, most importantly, Stephen and Alex Kendrick, the directors, who, listen, it doesn't matter whether they're on Good Morning America or the Today Show or whatever, they are going to tell you that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right. And so them having that stage and the Lord putting himself front and center in the national consciousness like that for that brief moment with War Room, man, it felt like a gift to me to be a part of it. And can I just tell you, if the Lord left me to my own devices, fear and insecurity would have talked me out of what was one of the greatest gifts of my life to be a part of this opportunity to draw people to Jesus in such a unique way. So mm -hmm. I say that with this next film as well, with I Can Only Imagine. I really believe that this is going to be a tool that because the song has been so impactful to people's lives the world over, Christian or not, I believe this film is going to be a tool that God is going to use when people sit in that theater and they're there either because, you know, Dennis Quaid's name is on the movie or Cloris Leachman's name is on the movie. And so they go, well, I'll just see that movie Dennis Quaid is in or whether they're there because they love the song. Mm -hmm. Either way, whatever gets them in there, what they are going to know is that there is redemption power in the name of Jesus by the time they leave that movie. 
And I'm so excited about your newest film, I Can Only Imagine. And I had an opportunity to chat with John Irwin, interview him. I knew we were going to be fast friends when he told me via this video interview that I, I didn't look like I could have eight kids. And I was like, oh, we're going to be best friends now. So, oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, oh, John yeah. Irwin's now my new best friend. And I'm so excited about this film and the story behind the song, I Can Only Imagine. What was it about this film and specifically the role that you play? I loved your role. Man, I wish you'd, <laughs> you're younger than I am, but I, I wish you'd been one of my high school teachers. Um, yeah. What was it about this role that made you want to be a part of this production to say yes to this uh, as you did to War Room? Well, you know, when they called and said, hey, we're, we're doing a film on this song, of course, I got excited because of the song, but it wasn't the song that made me want to be a part of it. It was that maybe 10 years ago, I met Bart Millard. Oh. And when I met him, he wouldn't remember meeting me, but I, when I met him, he was one of the most humble, generous, kind men I had ever met. His band uh, behind stage, they were about to sing to, you know, 10,000 people. And they were talking about their wives and talking about their children and the opportunity to serve the Lord. And so when I got a call, here we are a decade later to be a part of this film. The first thing that came to my mind was the humility of this man. Um, even after the magnitude of his success, that he genuinely just wants to see people experience the redemption power of Jesus as he has. I could not wait to be a part of telling a story like that. So my role in the film is very small. I'm only on screen for maybe 10 minutes in a two-hour movie. But I play Miss Fincher, who was his junior, I think, or senior year teacher in choir. And he did not want to be in choir. He didn't want to be in glee club, nothing (laughs) like that. He was an athlete. But he broke both of his ankles playing football, and he had to have some elective in order to have enough credits to graduate. So he just picked the thing he could skate through. He wanted to be lazy and not pay attention. Mm -hmm. And and Miss Fincher had a little attitude, which I loved getting to have attitude. Mm -hmm. I loved it. (laughs) You know, she was the teacher that said to him, you're not going to skate by in my class, buddy. Not today, or you're going to fail if you think I'm going to let you do that. And she discovered he could sing, and she made him sing. So she was like a Moses that called out to Joshua and said, you've got something in you that unless I throw you into the fire, unless I put you at the helm of this battle, you will never know the potential that that is accessible uh, because of the gift that you've got laying dormant on the inside of you. So that's what Miss Fincher was to Bart Millard. Mm -hmm. And everybody needs a Miss Fincher, whether it's a teacher or a parent or a Sunday school teacher or, or somebody in your life that looks at you and goes, Do you know that you have this gift? You don't recognize it, but I recognize it and I'm going to make you use it. I just, I love it. I love the role. I think it's such a great fit for you and the way you play it off is amazing. What was your favorite moment in the making of the film? Not, not just a moment on film, but within the actual production cycle. What was one of your favorite moments? Well, my, my favorite moment, honestly, is watching John and Andy Irwin work together. Because, you know, one of them admittedly has like this bout of ADD. So he's like all over the place, just creative. Just, I mean, it, <laughs> it's hysterical. because You can barely contain him. You know, you're trying to get through a scene, but he's off in another realm thinking about things that could potentially happen and he's playing with instruments and tools and moving things around the set and he's just all over the place and watching his brother try to just get him to sit down and get behind the camera and actually look at the one scene we're working on is hysterical it's like Burton (laughs) Ernie it's awesome so it's just a great dynamic watching brothers together a family work together like that but also to see how uniquely the Lord wires each of us Mm -hmm. and how if we just release each other to be each other 
<laughs> to be individuals, to be unique, and then bring those pieces together like puzzle pieces, that it's amazing. And, and that's the same, not just of siblings, but of marriage. I mean, like, just let each other be who God has wired them to be, and then just see how the pieces fit together. So instead of competing, you're complementing each other for the glory of God. I love that. Now, what kind of response are you seeing so far to the film? Because I know that you've had a big preview and okay, girl, I'm gonna I'm gonna own it. I stalked you a little bit online and got to see that fierce red carpet outfit. You looked amazing. So so what Thank kind of response? Oh, you did. You look so good. So what kind of response so are you seeing? Fun. You know what? I it you know, I love that you asked me that question because I've seen it twice now. One was at the premiere and, and, and they did a screening somewhere here in Dallas and I went to that as well. And by the time you get to the part of the movie toward the end where the song is actually sung. So you've been sitting on pins and needles waiting for the song. And finally, Bart Miller's character played masterfully by John Finley. Mm -hmm. he, he sings it. And by the way, he sings everything himself. Yes. It's not any voiceovers or anything. It's all him. That's what John so, Irwin told me. It's incredible. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. When he sings the song, finally, I have seen people literally in the theater standing to their feet with their hands raised in worship, mm. tears streaming down their face as the Holy Spirit revives anew the beauty of the message that can you only imagine when you see him face to face. And so it even gives me chills now talking about it. It's something that gave me chills with War Room that I would sneak into theaters every now and then and just watch it with a group and to see them respond like you're in church. Right. I mean, their, their hands are outstretched. They're very clearly being touched by a move of God. That's the same thing that is happening with I Can Only Imagine. And so I'm excited for people to walk into a theater just expecting to have some hot buttery popcorn and a Coke and a smile and leave with a move and a touch from God on their life. Absolutely. Now, in your travel and in your interaction with people from every walk of life, and I, I think it's so great that you do slide in to see what response is, because I think as Christian communicators, there are those times that definitely we have a message from the Lord that might not be popular, and then we have to have the courage to yeah. deliver that. But I also think we have to be really watching and understanding about what's burdening people's hearts and hopefully bring hope to that. So what are you seeing as a resounding need as things that people are looking for today? And, and how are you speaking into that? Well, I really just find that people are struggling, you know, to come to grips with the difficulties in their life, that life ha is happening. <laughs> life happens. And it's happening to a lot of my friends. I don't know about you, but either marriages are crumpling or mm -hmm. doctor's reports and diagnosis. Maybe it's because I'm just getting older. So I'm more aware of it happening in the lives of my friends. Right. But it just seems like even on the news with the decay in our culture that is so clearly seen by the evil that is running rampant, the, the shooting on school campuses and those sorts of things. Um, as that chaos can unfolds, what I'm finding is the deepest need that people have is Jesus, that they need hope. They need to know this is not their home, that this is not it. And so for the unbeliever, the message is Jesus. The message is that this is not all there is to life. And that's the only way you can have hope in the midst of such hopeless circumstances in which you may be personally living or in which you find our world uh, saturated right now with the culture the way it is. The message is Jesus to the unbeliever, placing faith in him. But to the believer, the message is still Jesus, but to change our perspective to where we are heavenly minded and not so earthly consumed that we forget the hope that we have in Jesus, the hope that came to us when we first met him. So believers have to be reminded to shift our vantage point. 
Because when you're eternally minded, when your eyes and your heart are focused on God's kingdom being outworked in this life and the eternal ramifications of what we do and say and how we live, well, it changes your perspective. It changes the way you react to your spouse when you're frustrated. It changes the way you see the season of difficulty that maybe your teenager is struggling through right now in their immaturity. It changes the way you respond and react to the pink slip that you just got on your desk. When you realize that this is not it and that God's sovereignty prevails over all of this, well, then it changes your response, your reaction, and the decisions and choices you make when eternity is in view. I think you are so on to something there, because it's been fascinating to me watching even, you know, just different comments and things on my social media streams where my friends who are not people of faith and my friends who are people of faith both seem to have, to some degree, the same Eeyore response to our current world, our current geopolitical you know, terrain, all of it, just a, an overconsumption, if you will, of the sense that this world is it. And if we can't get it right here, if we can't fix this and make that happen, then we're doomed. And so I think that that perspective is so very powerful. Now, we mentioned earlier, you're in the midst of raising three boys. I have three boys, five girls and three boys. And one of the things in your new film, I can only imagine, that is is so embedded is the relationship with the father. And when, when a relationship with a father is fractured or missing or whatever, in, in Bart's case, in the case of a lot of young men, how do we honor these guys that we're raising and keep them strong and keep them forward looking in a culture that you know, to some degree right now is, is struggling to understand relationship with guys, relationship with fathers, those kinds of things. Well, I would say that part of the beauty of the church, the body of Christ, is that it's filled with surrogate fathers. Hmm. Um, and that our prayer should be, you know, for single moms that are wondering, you know, how they're going to be able to make it through this. Number one, I know some very capable and qualified and wonderfully distinguished men that were raised by single women. It is the that this is what the Holy Spirit does. He compensates for our areas of weakness, no matter what they are, um, whether they are in our own personalities or whether they're in family dynamics. This is what God does. He takes up the gap. So be encouraged in that. But also ask the Lord to open up your eyes to see in your local church where you're currently planted and taking those sons and those daughters, by the way, are there some men that are around that can step in as surrogate parents. So if there is a business guy that is a thriving businessman in your church and he's rooted in the word of God and is a great businessman and you find out that one of your sons is inclined toward business, then my goodness, you go straight to that guy and say, you know what, would it be all right for me to bring my son to your company, for him to be able to shadow you for a day? Would you would you have lunch with us so that my, my son can ask you some questions? I mean, it, it is literally being proactive with the potential to surrogate father a son and help you to help that young man mature into the man that God would have him to become. That's beautiful. Now, as a speaker, a writer, both fiction and nonfiction, now as an actress, what are some new projects and dreams on the horizon for you? Well, you know what? My dream right now is to get my sons through high school without killing them. That, that's like <laughs> my whole goal. That is very noble. That is very that's noble. Right. <laughs> that's my whole goal in life. And also to figure out new ways to cook chicken for dinner so I can keep these boys fed. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. So I say that sort of comically, but like for real. Uh, yeah. My investment oh, yeah. in these next few years is really fully and completely to really be seeing these boys through high school. I've got, you know, a Bible study I'd love to write next. It's already on my mind, but it's not on my plate yet. I haven't put it on my plate because I just want to be fully engaged emotionally and physically with time 
um, you know, writing and all of these things take so much time. And I just want to have a little bit of a free plate right now so that I can just be at football games without thinking about what I need to be writing next. You know what I mean? Right, right. So that's my that's my big project right now is feeding boys and getting them through high school. <laughs> Well, we wish you all the best in that endeavor because it is a mighty one to undertake. Again, thank you so much for your time, for talking to us. Wow, so much wisdom. You just heaped a whole bunch of wisdom on the plate for us. Thank you. The film, I Can Only Imagine, has been out in theaters for a couple of weeks now. Be sure and check it out and check out Priscilla in her latest cinematic role. You can also connect with Priscilla at Priscilla Shire on Instagram and also at goingbeyond.com. That's her website. I'd love to connect with you, too, on all the socials at Julie Lyles Carr. Hey, a big shout out to Donna Toady. She's our producer. And to Rebecca Beckett. She's our content coordinator. And make sure you also check out all mom does We've got a series of amazing writers over there who have fantastic insight and information for your journey as a mom and your relationships and your work with your kids, all the things. So be sure and check out All Mom Does. Hey, coming up next week, we have Mandy Ariotto. She is the international president for Mops International. And we would love for you to have a chance to hear her insights on developing community and relationships, why it's so important in those younger years, but not just when your kids are preschool age, also for when they get older and what Mops is doing to meet that need as well. So be sure and check out this fantastic conversation and I'll see you next time on the Modern Motherhood Podcast. Thanks for listening. We just wanted to take a minute to let you know that just like you and your family, Purposely is also part of a family, the Krista Family of Ministries. Krista helps kids and teens learn and grow in their faith at King Schools and Miracle Ranch Camp. And Krista shares Jesus with people in the poorest, most remote places through world concern. Krista Senior Living is a community of love and care, and Krista Media is a place of hope on the radio. God is changing lives through these five ministries, and Krista is on mission to share the good news of Jesus. To learn more, visit krista.org.